going forward to prioritize affordable housing and to do it in a way that's going to be environmentally sound, but also bringing the neighborhoods along. It needs to be a good representation of Greenville and the Greenville we want to see. On behalf of Furman University and the Shy Institute for Sustainable Communities, my name is Chloe Sanfersteck, and welcome to another Upstate Anecdote. Last episode, we discussed environmental initiatives involved with the construction of Unity Park, highlighting the importance of canopy to both the natural ecosystem as well as local communities. I'm also interested in exploring the social impacts of Unity Park. How will an urban park impacting the existing communities? And how can we ensure sustainable development benefits both people and the natural environment? Affordable housing refers to units in which renters or buyers don't pay more than 30% of their overall income. Downtown development coupled with an influx of people into urban areas more generally increase property values and hence housing rates. This process provides fewer options for working class and lower income families, forcing some into an endless loop of renting and others that are forced to leave their communities altogether. Land use and zoning regulations have the potential of limiting housing diversity and mobility options for these people. The amount of cost burden households in Greenville is an issue at both the city and county level and must come into consideration in the Unity Park establishment. The Unity Park Neighborhood Development Code is a cooperative document that was published by the City of Greenville, MKSK, and Orion Planning and Design Consulting Firms. The document defines zoning limits and regulations that are set to protect the character of the existing community while also building a vibrant and sustainable urban park. It's one of the city's first outright commitments to affordable housing within its development standards. And I'm curious to hear the opinion of other stakeholders involved in pushing for affordable housing and equitable development in the upstate. Today we have Miss Tina Belgi. She works as the Advocacy and Community Engagement Partner with Greenville Housing Fund. Miss Belgi, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. To start, I was wondering if you could give a brief overview of Greenville Housing Fund, some of the projects you guys work with, and when Greenville Housing Fund has got on board with Unity Park. Greenville Housing Fund, we started really just like over two years ago after the creation of the city's commitment furthering their affordable housing development to create a fund to be that development arm. We're a nonprofit. We have kind of three main areas, first vesting in affordable housing. So we partner with for-profit entities and nonprofit to kind of leverage those local dollars the best we can. The second thing we do really is advocacy, and that's my job, advocacy and community engagement involving the community, those with lived experiences, and how do we get everybody at the table to help advance solutions around affordable housing. And then last, we do land banking. To build any affordable housing, you need land. That's really our third arm. How are we going to scale and grow in the city and county for affordable housing? As for Unity Park, we were part of the process. We hired MKSK and they ran a process to involve the community in creating the Unity Park Character Code, which is almost like a really a test for how can we incentivize affordable housing in the city. Was Greenville Housing Fund involved in writing the code? That was actually the consultants. So they have planners in their background. You know, some of them have been in government. Some of them now have switched over into government. So it's a good blend of local folks as well. 
I've read through the code, they've placed zoning restrictions and density requirements to kind of shift more towards affordable housing. Do you right. think that these density requirements and limitations will adequately help develop missing middle housing? There's kind of two things. Missing middle housing really is about getting away from the word density and, you know, just focusing on product type. You can have, it looks like a big mansion essentially, but there can be like five or eight units in it. It's all about what's the scale of that neighborhood and what's going to fit. It should never be bigger than the largest house. That's what portion of, of the character code is really about, building out that missing middle. So it's denser than your average neighborhood, but you can't tell by looking at it. And I think they're not necessarily requirements to an extent that they're incentives. If you choose to do affordable housing, you can get a little bit deeper in terms of density if you want to use those terms. But the whole idea behind it, which I think is just genius, and Opticos is, is kind of the consulting company that's been leading this around the country, is that people are really turned off by the word density and multifamily. And unfortunately, it's got all these negative connotations that kind of you describe. It just doesn't have to be that way. It can look like quality housing and look to be neighborhood scale without overtaking any neighborhood or any block. Do you think that plans to develop missing middle housing will naturally bring down the costs of housing? Do you think that's kind of a fair assumption for the city to make and proceed with? In general, yeah. The more density you have on a project, the more property tax you are incurring from that. That's what you use to abate the cost for affordable housing. So say you have for 10 years, this amount of taxes that would be collected on this property. They're saying, oh, we're going to reduce that by X amount or maybe take that away entirely because you have affordable housing on there. And that's going to help pay for those units and make them possible. It is a direct tool to subsidize, depending on how extreme that tax abatement is. That's when you start getting into hopefully some of the lowest. We've got 3,000 in the city that are under 30% area median income. Just to say the city, since we're talking about Unity Park, there's not housing. I mean, there's just not housing out there for people who are in that income category. And so, you know, whether they're experiencing homelessness also or coming out of incarceration, if they have no to little income, there's nowhere they can go. And so that subsidy is really important and density is one way to kind of make that happen. Are most of the incentives tax breaks or are there other incentives as well? In the character code, I think it has parking incentives as well. And that also another tenant of missing middle is if you're in a walkable area, especially for, you know, really focusing on I think it's 18% of people in the low income census tracts, they really need to be near services, near employment, near education, transportation. But if it's walkable, you know, you can do one parking space per unit, one and a half versus kind of the two that normally takes up in terms of green space. Parking lots that don't create runoff problems and, and green infrastructure issues. So there's a lot that is gained out of that incentive on top of the density incentive that's included in the character code. That's great to hear that those are the considerations that are in place and that they're not only monetary incentives, but also with the green space. I know you mentioned there's five different projects that Greenville Housing Fund is involved in. I was wondering if you'd go into depth a little bit more about those and what differentiates them from each other. Just recently, the city conferred to us like 19 different parcels altogether that are creating five different developments, you know, when you piece them together. They're all still in development. We don't have a final agreement numbers, anything like that to release, but we're hoping to soon. 
But we do know that one of the projects is going to be along West Washington Street. It's going to be senior housing, senior affordable housing, I should say. It's going to be 148 units plus, which is going to be pretty huge for Unity Park. It's a non-residential area, but there's folks in the southern side area just next to it. They're really having trouble aging in place, whether, you know, it's becoming on a fixed income at one point or even just taking care of their two-story house. You've seen a lot of that in the neighborhood. You know, they're struggling. They want to find a place that's suitable for them to kind of live out their days, but they don't want to leave their neighborhood. They've been there forever and for generations. So I think a huge part of it is making sure that senior housing is a priority for Unity Park because we know that's a huge population. The rest are going to be mixed income in terms of uh, affordable units. And so that's for folks under 80% AMI. And then workforce units, which is 80% to 120% AMI. Your teachers, your firefighters, your EMS. The senior housing, that's a great way to keep people within the neighborhood. There's the fear that developing this area will lead to gentrification, push people out because they don't see their community represented anymore. Southern side is a really rich history. And I think that's a great way to preserve it and keep the people there. Absolutely. That was really expressed by the neighborhood leadership. So I know on the steering committee for the character code, you know, you had Councilwoman Fleming, you had Representative Chandra Dillard, you had Mary Duckett, who was head of the Southern side neighborhood, you know, all involved, as well as many other local residents uh, in the creation of the character code. They made that very vocal and clear that that's one thing that I really wanted to see. It's something they're witnessing every day. Kind of got this graying, not just of the country, but Greenville too. It's such a trade-off with urban development and continuing mm-hmm. to expand. I wanted to talk about green gentrification. For some background, green gentrification is when environmental planning and other conservation initiatives end up resulting in the displacement of low-income communities and people who were living there before because of the new costs and increase in property tax with the new green space area. Do you see green gentrification as a result of the city's environmental restoration plans, or do you think that there's kind of a good balance or mitigate that? I think for the Swamp Rabbit being an example, right, the gentrification that can come when green infrastructure is put in place, but also I think it's really dependent on each community, how they see it. Do they want a park? Are they supportive? Our CEO, who actually went door to door um, with the Neighborhood Association president and talked to people, talked to them about the park and talked to them about the character code and what they would want to see in their neighborhood. That grassroots work and really seeing what the community wants really depends if it is going to become um, a gentrifying issue or not. Because there's just been such an intense focus on affordable housing, that's one response. I think before with the swamp route, we just didn't know much of an asset this was really going to be and, and the gentrification that would follow it. I would say the other thing, it doesn't have to be gentrifying if you really bring racial equity at the forefront. Hearing from those residents and talking about the past of Unity Park was really powerful. There used to be a women's jail there. There was a police department had a firing range. On the southern side neighborhood, you'd have some stray bullets going into people's wow. houses. I mean, it was never treated along the southern side, you know, all the environmental issues that they've seen. It was never treated as a nice place to live. It was called southern side because it was south of the tracks. It's mm-hmm. on the west side of Greenville. 
people in that community, they felt pride in that name. They kept that name. And part of this park, at least from the leaders that we've heard from and that are supportive of it, have really tried to make vocal that it's about making this you know, piece of land that's always been viewed as like a dumping ground and not somewhere that can be taken care of and really kind of taken it back for the neighborhood and utilized by all people. And it has to be done intentionally. So it's got to be done with those things in mind and making sure it's accessible, like we said, for those aging in place to live there and making it affordable as possible. So it's a mixed income areas, not high-end you know, apartments and nothing else. It needs to be a good representation of Greenville and the Greenville we want to see. When you talk about their input on the past and you mentioned Swamp Rabbit Trail, it was something that was pursued because we'd seen great examples across the country in terms of trails and old rail beds turned into trail systems. We didn't realize how big an impact that would have on our economic development throughout the, the city and county. I mean, it's just been a, a complete boom. I mean, I live in Traveler's Rest and it's completely changed that town. So it's really, I think it was hard to foresee some of the great impact that could really have, which has been very positive. But it's just obviously the cost of housing around the trail and and any new housing built around it. It's just, it's going to be more expensive. So I think Uni Park is a unique thing where you have the opportunity to be intentional because you know it's going to bring about, especially being right outside downtown. You really know you've got to think ahead and plan. I don't really know much about the construction of the Swamp Rabbit and how that's changed, but that seems like a great case study to ask people like, hey, how can we do this differently? I think it's been done really well. And County Rec was just very insightful to, to see that as a, as a possibility. And it's even helped us in terms of transportation. It's been made it easier on the, on the west side going all the way up. And then even parts as we're expanding to get people to employment easier, you know, just like anything else, just like the Atlanta Beltline and any other green beltway or anything like that, you're going to see just rising costs because it is an amenity, just like anything else across the country in terms of incentivizing affordable housing. Parking is not uncommon. Density is not uncommon. There's even some setback, I think, restrictions that are taken back on this as well, which is half the battle. You've got small parcels assembled over time. You know, easements and setbacks can sometimes be very hindering. And obviously, the city is looking at redoing their whole planning package um, over the next year or so after this adoption of 2040 to how, how to better make it about the product, just like missing mental housing focuses on rather than um, kind of these standards that we just had traditionally of, you know, 25 feet back, five foot on each side, because that's not always the best way to go about getting the, what you want to see. Was that Greenville 2040 comprehensive plans something that was in consideration with the neighborhood development code? I think those two things, one was wrapping up while the other was kind of revving up. 2040 has been over the past year, and I think Character Code was a good year ending when that was starting. Do you know that the city, based on their 2040 plan, affordable housing is one of the top three priorities. And looking at their, their zoning, whether it's accessory dwelling units or lot sizes or kind of these other things, what other incentives can we have? The Unity Park Character Code is a way to say, all right, we've done it in this area, and how can we scale that? The eventual goal is to apply this citywide eventually. And the 2040 plan is, is really about, to your earlier point, about density as well, like the nodes and corridors that they've developed and 
how can we better leverage property tax and subsidy to reach the affordability levels we really need? And that plan really focuses on that 30% and below that are in dire need in our city. That's really, really inspiring that there's also this future goal involving the entire city. It is. I mean, they've made a strong commitment and, you know, they're just continuing that. We're a big support of the plan. Well, my last question to wrap up, I was wondering if you think that there are any limitations around Neighborhood Development Code? I would say the only thing I I know of, something that we're a member of is Impact Greenville. It's an organization that really has a number of stakeholders uh, around land use, housing, and transportation that just had a small study done from that same uh, consultant company I mentioned, Opticos, to take a look back at the character code and make sure it's as optimal as possible for missing middle housing. They came back with just with a brief report and small edit. We already worked with that consultant and how to just make those tiny changes to the character code just to make it that much better. Really mean the goals that it was intended. I think that's the only thing I could think about in it. I think just a great opportunity going forward to really prioritize affordable housing and to do it in a way that's going to be environmentally sound, but also bringing the neighborhoods along. We've got developments I mentioned that are just, you know, in the process. And as we get those to an agreement stage, it's not just about having this code and following it, which is, I will say, stronger than a plan because it actually codifies it. But it's also about the other side and engaging with the neighborhoods. You know, once we have a partner on board and saying, you know, this is the kind of density we're looking at. This is what it would look like. And kind of that constant engagement to make sure it's what the community wants. It's meeting the needs and intent that they set up. Yeah, I mean, that's what that's what it should require, you know, cooperation on really every level. All right. Well, thank you very much for sitting down with me virtually today. That's all the questions I have. (laughs) Sure. Thank you, Chloe. I really appreciate it. Since this conversation, I've been thinking more deeply about the intersection between urban development, environmental change, and social justice. Any change in the public domain requires a holistic consideration of social and environmental factors. I'm inspired by the city's commitment to affordable housing and its collaboration with organizations like Greenville Housing Fund to ensure these considerations are being upheld and providing the community support in doing so. Authorities and other stakeholders must work together to protect the interests of existing communities as well as facilitate change in an equitable and sustainable direction. Thanks for tuning in. And until next time, this is Chloe Sandiverstek. I'll catch you later for another episode of Upstate Anecdotes.